Welcome to the Mesmerizing Marketing Podcast, where we take a deep dive into the latest marketing trends, tools, and tips, and provide you with the top resources you need to thrive and make your marketing mesmerizing. And now, here's your host, Dimple Dang. Hi there. Welcome back to the Mesmerizing Marketing Podcast. And today I'm super excited to be here with Skylar Reeves. Skylar Reeves is the founder and CEO of Ardent Growth. He's on a mission to blend data and creativity to make the web a better place. Skylar holds a degree in computer science and philosophy and is also an Iraq war veteran. Welcome, Skylar. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, super excited. So today we're going to be talking about topic clustering and how other companies and corporations and you know businesses can outrank even the bigger websites like HubSpot by utilizing this topic clustering method. So I'm really intrigued by this. So first of all, you know, want to backtrack to when you first had this idea, this conception of launching Ardent Growth. What was the problem in the marketplace that you saw that you were trying to solve? So when I first launched starting growth. I was working in, in a completely different industry. I was working in the transportation industry focused on solving algorithm problems um, related to routing and had heard about this black box of Google with SEO that no one knew how it worked. And that's what I've basically been working on this entire time was trying to solve unsolvable problems and it seemed interesting. So I figured I would give it a go. That's where I started. The topic clustering thing though really came from this, this frustration with never knowing what's What's the right type of content? What content should I be making to get the best results as fast as possible? And all the recommendations out there on the web just kind of said to pick topics and group them together, but it was all based on gut, um, gut feeling. And I didn't like that. And so that was, that was the initial frustration and why we kind of set out to solve this problem. Yeah. I mean, I think there's so much information out there, right? When you look online, there's so many things that you hear. There's so many different tips and some of the information is accurate and some of it is not accurate. So even on Google, it's a search engine, but just because information is, is listed on Google, it doesn't make it accurate, right? As consumers, I think people get confused because they don't know where to start, they don't know what to believe. And sometimes they fall into the trap of believing methods and ways of, of doing marketing that really aren't ethical or they're not like the appropriate measures, right? And I think by taking those shortcuts, like companies and brands, they end up hurting themselves in the long run. So when you saw a need you know, in the marketplace, and before even launching the company, what steps did you have to go through? Like, did you do some market research? What was your, you know, research process prior to launch? Well, there really wasn't much of one. It was my first time launching a business. And so I, I come from an engineering background. And so usually the only thing that's needed to require for us to actually go tackle a problem is that there, there's a problem exists that's interesting that we want to solve. And so a lot of it's driven by curiosity. That's not what I would recommend a lot of founders go do. I mean, I've learned a lot since then of like, okay, we need to think about doing some market research, think about finding product market fit, you know, understanding kind of lean startup concepts, you know, but at the time it was just, there was a problem I wanted to solve it. Yeah. So wish I had a better answer than that. I think I don't follow the exact path I follow. So. Yeah. But I think step one is, you know, finding that problem, right? I think having a business and being able to sell a product or service to someone is all about solving their problems. Because if you can't solve a problem or they don't have a problem to solve, you're not really going to be able to monetize and grow a business that way. You have to be able to solve a problem that they're having. That's a pain point and that's, you know, in the marketplace. So you identify the problem and what did you do after that? So from, from that point forward, you know, we're still iterating through it. I think a lot of the way other founders do, you know, we're still trying to really define what is product market fit here. We, we've gotten what we think is, is pretty close. And so now we're kind of thinking like, all right, how do we scale this thing? But at the same time, we're not, you know, we're not a software company, we're a consultancy. And so we, we go back and forth with this constant identity crisis on whether or not we want to stay a consultancy or if we want to just turn this thing into a SaaS company. But yeah, really the first thing is to say, okay, like you've, you solved a problem that you have to understand is like, is the market big enough that, you know, is there demand enough there to, to warrant this actually being a sustainable business model? And, and can you really find product market fit where people are constantly coming to, you know, exactly who you're serving? And from there you can, you know, pour gasoline on things and actually begin to scale it and go to market. 
Okay. And in terms of your ideal client avatar, like, can you give me some demographics, some details on, you know, who's your target audience? Who's your target client? So we've, we've worked across um, a lot while, while we've been figuring this out and, you know, the technology itself is applicable to any audience, but as far as who we like to work with, um, because there's the tech can't do everything for you. You've got to have a human being on the other side, capable of critical thinking and really understanding how to put this all together into a cohesive strategy. So for us, it's, it's B2B SaaS. And interestingly enough is that's not even like the easiest way to, for us to apply our technology. It actually applies really well to e-commerce when we've worked with a few e-commerce brands, it's delivered great results for them. It's very clear. There's a lot less ambiguity there, but in terms of the actual work that's being done and the, the interest that goes into it and who we're working with, B2B SaaS tends to be who we click much better with on a more, on a more personal level and, and a collaborative level. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. And Skylar, for the audience, like I would love to know, you know, to you, what's the definition of content marketing to you? What does content marketing mean? So content marketing to me is a succinct definition would be it's, you know, it's whether it's on your website, whether it's on social, whether it's on video, it's the idea that we're creating content out there for people to consume that directly serves the overarching business strategy. If you're just creating things that don't serve the business strategy, that aren't moving business objectives forward, that's not content marketing. That's just content creation and there's a difference. So in a nutshell, any sort of content, no matter what the medium that helps drive um, business objectives forward. I'm a firm believer of creating content. And I think that, you know, every business, every even solopreneur, mm -hmm. anyone who has like a business, right? They should be creating content on a consistent basis. And for some people, I know that that's a challenge because there's a lot of roadblocks to that. There's time, then there's ideas. Some people are not good when it comes to creativity. And then, you know, the biggest thing I think to me that really stands out, that's important that the normal average business owner and corporation doesn't necessarily know about is SEO, search engine optimization, because if you, you can produce content day in and day out, but if that content is not discoverable, right, if people can't find it, on Google, they can't find it on the search engines, you're not gonna get traffic back to your website. You're not gonna get traffic back to that blog article, right? And I think the main thing is like making your content discoverable. Yeah, I think it's, depending on what type of business that you're in, would kind of dictate on what channel, right? That you're gonna plan your distribution strategy. So, you know, if SEO falls into the, the plan distribution strategy, yes, you've gotta create content that's capable of ranking. You've gotta align it. We see a lot of people where they try to fight you know, when you, when you search for something on Google, you can just look at the titles that it's ranking and get, and get a sense of what are people wanting when they search for this. And if you try to create content that is controversial to that, or is just a completely different format, sometimes it can rank because Google does sometimes want to show a variety of perspectives on things. But for the most part, it's fighting, fighting search intent. That's what we call it. You know, the search intent it's trying to fight that is, is fighting an uphill battle. So you have to do, have to understand a little bit of research there before you actually go to create content. But that doesn't mean though that SEO is always the best distribution strategy. We focus on SEO. That's what we prefer, but we'll tell people right out the gate, you know, if we, if we begin to assess the market and the way their business operates, whether or not we think that that's actually the strategy that they need to be pursuing, or if they need to pursue more of a social distribution strategy or, you know, email marketing or things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when it comes to this whole topic clustering, what is that? Because I haven't heard that term before until I met you, and it sounds fascinating. In the world of computer science, it means something a little bit different than the way we've applied it in marketing, but you've probably heard of Hub and Spoke before, HubSpot kind of brought that term up in 2017. It's it's very similar. It's a, it's another way to think about that. It's the idea that you're going to create content hubs around this central topic. I think the reason why topic clustering is sort of another way to look at it in terms of uh, the verbiage, though, is that it's this idea that we're actually creating an algorithm model around how to structure that content instead of just picking a topic and then ideating, you know, again, using your own, your own kind of gut instinct about what you think the topics need to be around it to connect together. This takes a much more algorithmic approach. Yeah, I bet there's a lot of research involved with that too, because how do you come up with all of those topics that cluster together around the main topic? So what is it that your company does to make this process feasible, a lot easier, and how does it tie everything together? So there's, there's two general approaches to it currently. One of them is to use a more 
natural language processing model, which is sort of like machine learning. We don't actually like doing that. We don't think that's as helpful because Google has its own natural language processing model. And so the way we look at it is if you just rely on what Google's telling you, they've already processed it. They've already determined intent and determined what these words mean. So if you use that as an indicator to start from, that's how we work. So what we do is we say, okay, let's take um, as many broad level topics as we possibly can. And whether you're using a tool, there's SEO research tools out there like Ahrefs and Simrush, and you'll pull in everything. You can use your search console data as well. Pull in every single topic related to your industry, effectively mapping out your TAM from a keyword research perspective. And then we feed into our, into our algorithm and our algorithm will go and pull all the search results from Google for those terms. And it will begin to find where things are related in terms of what pages are ranking for what. And by doing that, we're able to see, okay, if Google's going to group the exact URLs together across these 80 different variations of these, of these queries, then it's reasonable to assume that that actually all needs to go, the, go together. And so what that tells us is whether or not we need to create one page or two pages for a particular topic. An example of that would be recently we were working with an e-commerce brand who had a single product collection page about uh, maternity and nursing bras. And we found whenever we did our analysis that they actually needed to be two separate pages. They were performing really well for uh, maternity bras, but weren't performing very well for nursing bras. They separated them out, created a separate collection page, immediately shot up to the first page for that secondary query as well. So the way we do it though, we just collect all the keywords, process this data from Google. It can become a, the initial problem after we first built this was it was a lot of noise because you're dealing with hundreds, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of keywords. And so we built, uh, we built our own priority score and relevancy score into this to help us kind of filter out the noise and uh, focus in on what's actually going to be more relevant to the business. But we can do that in like a matter of weeks, whereas if you did it by hand, it would take literally like half a year to do. So my question is, is this providing the ideas around the topics or is it actually doing the work? Are you guys doing the work as well for, you know, for these businesses? We've done a bit of both. We like to stay more strategic when it comes to the actual, like, Telling them, okay, here, here's the pages you need to create. Here's the order you need to create them in. Here's how they need to connect together. You know, here's your, effectively your content plan for the next 12 months, right? We've created content for people in the past. We still do for some of our current clients. We, we really try to get people to create their own content though. And we'll, and we'll coach them and train them and help them find writers if they need to. And the main reason is that I don't think anyone ever creates content at quite the same level for a, for a company or a brand than someone who internal. Um, would versus hiring an agency or just a, a freelancer, you know, things like that. It's, it just doesn't, it never really hits because a freelancer or an agency doesn't understand the unique problems that your customers face the way that you do as a founder or the way that your sales, your sales team or your customer success team, a freelancer and AC, it would take a, a, them a while to really understand that. And you're far better off hiring someone who is capable of doing really good interviews with the founder or with customer success or with sales, going through gong recordings, things like that, to understand how the product really solves the unique problems as it fits within that topic. Yeah, we do creation some, but we really try to push people more towards uh, building out their own team if they don't already have one. And we'll help them build that if they need it. Yeah, that makes sense. Because when you think about, you know, a brand and their brand voice and all of that, that can really just come from them. It's hard for someone, mm -hmm. especially if it's being outsourced, right, to understand a brand. And that's why even social media marketing is so difficult, mm -hmm. because when you have someone else posting on your behalf, there's limitations to what, you know, they can post because they, they don't really know. They really have to have a very deep understanding of your personality, your tone, like, do you like to be sassy in your social media posts? Do you like to be funny? You know, like, what's the personality of, of that company? What's that brand personality? And I think same thing with content, you know, content can be written so many different ways, and it can have so many different variations and connotations and the style. Even now, when you use like some of these content writing tools, it'll ask you, well, what tone do you want? Do you want professional? Do you want casual? And, and all of those things have to be determined. So I think the only way to really get something done in a way that it's going to be really relevant to your organization is to have an in-house person or to have one person that, you know, they can be from the outside, but they work for you where you can have a conference call with them. You can jump on Zoom and you can talk about it. It's not just via email, you're typing in a request, oh, write this 
content on, you know, these 10 e-commerce items that I want to sell. It's more like, okay, let's have a conversation. Let's make sure you understand what we represent, what our mission is, what our values are, what are the problems that our customers were facing five years ago versus now. Because I think, again, even for the organizations that are creating all this content, it's all about solving a consumer's problem. And if they can solve that problem, they're going to make that sale. Or if they can create this perception that there's a need for what they're selling, right? There's a need for that product, or right? This product is better than product A, and this is why you should buy this product. You know, I think all of those things come into play with that, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's why uh, you, you hit it there on the mark. So being able to say, this is why product A is better than product B, that's something that outside uh, freelancers, until they've worked with you for a while, they don't, it, it's, it's so rare for them to understand how you're uniquely positioned against the competition in a way that's going to be persuasive, right? Um, that's the essence of content marketing, right? Is to, is to really sell for, for that content to, to be more product-led or service-led or company-led, you know, depending on, on your model. But, you know, and when you do work with external folks, like it can work, but it's, it's going to be a very two-way street. You have to make sure you hire the right people. That's difficult. But w once you do hire the right ones, what you're looking for is you're looking for people who are inquisitive, who can push you when they're interviewing you to keep asking why. You know, you answer a question, they dig in, they want to go deep until every answer that you give leads them back to the product because then they're able to take that and actually put that into content and, and your words that they wouldn't know how to do because they don't have the experience that you have and the, the rich knowledge. And if they just write it without that insight from you as a founder or as, as a CMO or a head of sales or anything like that, it reads as being amateur versus coming from someone who really understands the customer and the product. So again, it goes both ways on the business end has to be able to provide that feedback and coach the writer as well. And to, to help give them the information that they need, they, you know, they don't just come with it automatically. So it's a, it's an evolutionary process. Yeah. So to me, I mean, it sounds almost like a journalist, right? Would yeah. do an interviewer story is that to have that content writer interview the person who's going to be explaining details about a particular concept or topic or product and really dive deep and, you know, dive so deep into it where it's like, okay, they answer one question and then you dive deeper into another aspect of it so that you have a very thorough understanding, right? Of, of what is that product? What does it do? What are the benefits? Who are the competitors? How does it differ from, from other products that are similar in the marketplace? Because when it comes to writing that content, a lot of people prefer content, especially if it comes to e-commerce or even in anything, even if someone's hiring a lawyer in a law firm, mm -hmm. they're going to go online. They're going to go to Google, right? They're going to type in a keyword phrase. Let's say they type in New York divorce attorney and they're going to get search results and they're going to probably go to two to four websites. They're going to check out the content or maybe they're going to type in a keyword and they type in should I have a prenup agreement, you know, yep. be, before I get married? And then someone has a blog article that's titled exactly that title. So what's going to happen is that blog is going to render high on Google. And if it happened to render on page one, then that person's going to discover that attorney and they're going to go to that website. And in the same way, I think it comes down to really knowing who the audience is for that company, for that product and what appeals to them right? Because you yeah. really have to even speak in that tone, in that voice, that's going to resonate with them. And that's going to get them to take action. And I think, you know, it's important to have the right tone as well. Yeah. And, you know, w one quick kind of little tip there too, whenever you're doing that, let's say you're working in a sort of B2B SaaS is that the way you write strategic content and tactical content, they're for two different audiences. The tactical content, you can have a much more familiar tone, a very, uh, you can go a bit deeper with things, very step-by-step. -step. You're talking to the people who are going to be doing the work, right? And that's very different from the way you're going to be talking to the CMOs or VP of growth or anything like that, or, or head of growth, where you need to be much more strategic in your content. You don't have to dive into the weeds. You can give frameworks. You can use a few analogies, how this applies, right? Because they don't need all the details. They need frameworks they can work with so they can apply to different things. And so just understanding, even when you're tackling a similar keyword, depending on how you want to tackle it, if you tackle it from a strategic level versus a tactical level, that's how you can change your tone. You don't want to put them both together in one article though, but yeah, so that, that's, what, that's what we've always done that helps really well. Because if you write tactical level content for someone who's going to be consuming it from a strategic audience, 
it's just not, it's not as interesting. And that's usually who you're trying to sell to them as well as, is the more senior lower roles. And do you have any guidelines think you like to say, okay, if, so, if someone's going to produce content based on the strategy that you're providing for them around topic clustering, do you say your content should be around this many words to this many words? Like, do you have a criteria or you leave that up to them? I'll leave, I'll leave it up to them for the most part. I mean, there's, there's certain like kind of like minimum threshold standards. I think we usually tell them about ClearScope or Market Muse or these tools out there that they can use to help kind of guide them along the way that provide recommendations. But, but we tell them these are just tools, right? Like humans work tools, tools don't work humans. And so sometimes you can have an outlier the way a lot of these tools works is there'll be one outlier out there who wrote a 10,000 word article and that skews the average, right? And really what you, what you want to be looking at is the median. We tell them write as much as it takes to actually cover this topic in depth thoroughly. And we usually like to spend more time going back through the article and editing more things out than anything else to make it more succinct and clear. It can be a bit different with tactical content because you want to make sure you're including plenty of images and step-by-step -step instructions perhaps. But yeah, ultimately we word count is a, it's not necessary as long as you've provided a, a very uh, robust outline about here are the things that need to be discussed in this article. Well, you can't discuss those things without writing a sufficient amount of content. You know, they wouldn't write 400 words to be able to cover it most of the time. It's, you know, they'll average a thousand to 2000 a lot of times just depends. Yeah, that, that does, that makes sense. And what about SEO? Do you give them any best practices to follow so that when they are producing all this content that they're doing it in a manner that's going to be SEO optimized? It, so a lot of times it depends on what kind of CMS, what kind of system that they're built on. If they're built on WordPress. Let's say it's WordPress. That's yeah, like it, the most common one. So yeah. So if, it, if they're built on WordPress, we don't give them a, a ton of recommendations, like other than like the baseline of, we give them the recommendation of Here's how you structure a good title. Here's how you need to, you know, create headings, uh, subheadings, make sure they understand about internal linking. And the, probably the most important is really the slug because that's something you don't want to change. So what the actual hyperlink is of your article, because everything else you can change and adapt over time. You can always change the permalink, but we want to avoid it if possible. But that's a bulk of it because WordPress these days will handle most of everything else for you when it comes to the basics of where does it go on the site? How, you know, how are things structured together in terms of your post format and, you know, is the content in the body and all of that. So we tell people most of the time you're, you're far better off just follow the, the base level guidelines. But more importantly, if you just focus on really good content that's, that solves a problem or answers a question for your, for your uh, consumers or your target audience, that's, that's half the battle. It's just getting it out there, not to let the perfect become the enemy of the good, so to speak. Yeah, it's about getting it out there, which I think is a challenge in itself for some yeah. people. But yeah, some of the pointers I give in terms of WordPress is there's a plugin called Yoast SEO, so they can download that and they can follow the best practices. They can make sure that all the images, you know, have alt text behind the scenes because that is how Google can tell what an image is about. Also, images are discoverable so people can find them. And it's important to, to have content behind the images because Google cannot read images by itself. Um, so those are some things I would add to that. But, you know, let's dive really deep into this whole topic clustering strategy. Take us behind the scenes of, of your software. Like, what does it do? Yeah, so the, the easiest way to think about it, I'll use the example I used earlier if we're looking at something like maternity bras or nursing bras. Or if you're looking at another example would be we were doing this. So we we're working with uh, doing some topic clustering for uh, QuickBooks recently where you're looking at expense um, reports and then you have like expense report software. Okay. So the article on the site was initially covering both of those topics in, in one single page. Well, the way you can start to figure out like, okay, do things need to be separate is take those two pages or take those two keywords. If you want to do it manually, pull up two Chrome browser windows side by side on Google, put in both keywords. And the first thing you want to look at are the titles and the URLs that are ranking for each on the first page. And if you see a high overlap of similarity between each URL, then those two keywords can go together and collapse into one. Now that's a very manual, painful process to do, especially because Google doesn't just display the URL anymore. You know, they kind of, you have to like right click it or, or hover over it to see down in the status bar what that URL is. So trying to do that for, you know, if you're trying to plan 10, 20, you know, keywords just to see where they fall, it's not so bad. It might take you, you know, 15 to 30 minutes. But when you're trying to, let's say you're a startup, and you know that's, you know, let's say you can't take Canva back to the beginning, right? And Canva's like, okay, we want to heavily invest in SEO. 
what's the best way to go about doing this? Because they want to reduce opportunity cost, they want to get results as fast as possible, and they want to know that where they're investing their money is hedging the best way they can in their favor. So to do that, you have to locate a lot more data than just 20 keywords. You need to really form out the entire plan. So we start by saying, okay, like I mentioned earlier, take these broad level keywords. Let's say it's QuickBooks. You've got things like, I'm gonna look for everything related to invoicing, invoices, invoiced, expense, expenses, expensing, time tracking, right? W-2, all of that, taxes, filing account, right? Find all these very singular sort of broad keywords. Go into the keyword research tools that you use, whether it's Ahrefs or Simrush. We like to put them in and get all the, like essentially you can think of like broad match modified keywords. It's anything that has that word in it and some variation. Doesn't matter how it's ordered, just some variation and pull all of those keywords in. So oftentimes, so like for QuickBooks or something, you're looking at four or five main different keywords because they offer just such a robust set of services, especially now they bought MailChimp. So they imagine doing that side by side thing for, you know, even a hundred keywords, it, it takes forever. So. We were now rhythm to do it where we can collect and process this data and then basically just spit back out the results to tell you, okay, here's all how all of these group together. Here's what the matching. We also built it in a way that we can, like I said, calculate priority score, relevancy score, where we can put in where, where are you ranking for these currently? Where are your competitors ranking for these currently? And then from there, you can calculate things like what's the value of this? You know, where does it fall in the funnel? We, we map all of that out, out algorithmically. That way, when it's, when it's all said and done, We've got a list of, here's the exact pages you need to make on your website. Here's the order that you need to make them in. Here's how they need to be grouped together. Here's how this maps to your, to your funnel distribution, depending on uh, what type of business you are, would kind of dictate whether you need more top of funnel or more bottom of funnel. Uh, and we map that out and give it to them and say, okay, now you're ready to go. Like these are the topics you need to go create content over. And you could take a shot in the dark and, and, and do this like just kind of like a manual gut instinct way too. And look and model after competitors uh, is what a lot of people do. We just didn't like doing that because we knew that there was a lot of opportunity out there that the competitors weren't aware of, right? If you're always trying to play catch up with them, you never get to become the leader. And so that's why we said, okay, let's let's actually assess what the TAM is. Let's really understand what, what this company's total addressable market is so that Eventually, people are trying to play catch up with us. We're able to find opportunities before anyone else has. And so that's our approach. And the benefit of it is when you do create content in the order uh, that we recommend, you're able to rank much faster. You still kind of have an, an initial period. It takes time to ramp up and get Google to index your site and establish what we call topical authority, right? To really, for Google to really trust that this is what your site's going to consistently publish content on and they can trust you. But we've been able to do that consistently for several brands without even building backlinks or anything. We took this one small niche, niche, niche e-commerce website from like zero to uh, like 60K traffic per month. They only sell like four products. Took them like 60K traffic per month, didn't build any backlinks. I think they're like, they have like a domain authority is what we call it an SEO of I think like 14, you know, okay. and, they're, and they're less than 18 months old. So we've replicated that several times. So that's really the nice benefit too, is you're able to create content, focus more on content creation and the quality of the content and not have to spam people requesting backlinks and, you know, and, and trying to go through that whole side of the process too, which saves money whenever you don't have to do that also. I think there's some yeah. industries, let me just clarify too. I think there's some industries where that's still sort of table stakes. If you're in finance, if you're, if you're trying to compete with NerdWallet, like you're going to have to build backlinks, you know, but again, depending on the business model, we'll assess it and say, okay, here's what you need to do. Like, you can get away without building backlinks. We can try it first, right? Versus if you're in something like insurance or finance, like you're probably just going to have to. Yeah. Anytime. I mean, if you don't have to do backlinks, I mean, I have been able to get my own sites and clients websites to rank on page one of Google multiple times for multiple keywords, you know, by using a strategy that is a content creation strategy. It's creating, you know, SEO optimized blog post and, in a way, I might even be doing topic clustering. I just didn't you know, realize like, that's yeah. what I'm doing, but I feel like it is. And this was something that I was doing years ago because I just remember that I, I had this job and I had spare time. So I said, okay, let me research how we can you know, rank high for, for the organization. So they're like, sure. So I built a blog just to test it out and see. And I was able to get that blog you know, traffic and get it to rank. And then I was like, okay, I'm on to something. And everything, you know, that I've done is it's creating content, but I haven't really, I've done like 
literally zero backlinks. Like if they have backlinks, that's one thing. And those sites have been able to rank high. And like for my own website, you know, once I submitted it to, to Google and built a sitemap so they know, hey, here's a new website, index this and index these pages. It was like on page one within like four or five days of launching the website, which is pretty yeah. good. But it was all like a very strategic thing. It was a content marketing strategy based on picking the right domain, based on writing content and writing blogs, based on a specific, you know, keyword or topic. And then even the pages, the way that they were titled, named, the content, it was all very strategic. So, you know, when I hear you talk about the order of what they're doing, the order is very important. I want to dive deeper into that because how does that, how does that work in terms of how do you determine what order to put, you know, different topics in and different ideas? Because I think that's something that if they were doing it manually, I don't think it would be an easy task to do, right? But your technology is coming up with, with these, hey, this is an order as well. Let's talk about the order. So I'll, I'll see if I can come up with a way to explain this without like giving like the proprietary details away. Our initial problem, whenever we were facing ordering, like, because we'd use some other like topic clustering methods, even like after we initially built ours, we're like, great, we have topic clusters. We know we, uh, we answered the problem of what pages I need to create and what pages do I not need to create, right? That way we didn't have two pages competing with one another because that was something that we ran into a lot too. And it was like, okay, great. I now know what content to make, but what order do I create this in? There's a lot, there's a lot of uh, different paths I can take here. And so that was the next problem is trying to figure out how to solve that. So depending on how robust the website already is, if they already have a lot of content, it becomes much easier. If they don't, there's another way to, to kind of approach that too. But the way that we were doing it prior and that a lot of other people in content marketing or SEO will approach it is they'll look at things like what's called keyword difficulty and the various tools out there that say, this is, uh, this is not a very difficult keyword to go after. You should go after these first. And we didn't like that primarily because of what we just talked about. All of those KD metrics on difficulty are all dependent upon backlinks as, as their primary variable that calculates them. And we just were seeing the backlinks just through random chance where we got lucky a few times. We saw that the backlinks, we were able to rank things without it. So I didn't want to rely on a metric that used another variable that I didn't really think was as relevant as a, as a means of determining where to start. So the way we determine priority, let's say you have a, a site with some existing content. It doesn't even have to be a lot, but if you've got some things ranking or if you've got any um, uh, content out there currently, what we look at is we look to understand where are you already ranking? Because with so if we build out the topic map from this cluster, some of your pages you already have are going to be ranking for some of these topics. They may not be ranking on the first page, but some of them are going to be ranking in the top 100. And so we use that based on your positioning to understand where is Google ranking you at for this topic? Because that's a gauge on how authoritative you are on this topic. And the more content that you have, the easier it makes it though, where you're able to say, okay, where does Google see me as being most authoritative? And then where does Google see me as being least authoritative, right? And from that, the way our, our score works is we look to see what are you ranking for currently? How well are you ranking for it? How quickly were you able to rank for it? And use that to establish what is your own personalized, you know, topical authority in this current niche as it stands right now. And then we can trace a line it's, it would be hard to explain with, with words, but in, in graph theory, we're able to take nodes, which are like topics and edges, which are connections between these topics, how they relate to one another. We can trace edges between these nodes. And you're able to share your screen if you want. I mean, you can share your screen and, and show that if you want. The, okay, so. Because I think this whole thing about the order of the content, it's fascinating because I, I think that people don't really think about that, right? And then again, it comes down to marketing strategy and strategy on creating the right content at the right time because the order that you're putting it in is gonna impact the results. It's gonna impact where you rank, how you rank, if you rank, right? Mm -hmm. And and I think, you know, for me, like everything I do with marketing is very strategic. So I love hearing things that are very strategy driven. And to me, when you say, hey, content, it has to be produced in the right order and it has to be posted in this particular order. I think that's a big marketing strategy. There's a reason behind that. Yeah. And, and I'll clarify and say that it doesn't have to be, uh, you're going to get better results if you, if you do it in a, in a particular order, you know, we, we tell people that you don't have to 
there's, there's, a, there's an optimal way, an optimal efficient way to do things. And then there's just, I mean, doing anything is often better than doing nothing. But if you've got, you know, if you've got the budget, it, and especially if you're trying to hit certain goals, it's like, okay, like invest in something like this or invest in a very well thought out strategy, at least so that you're not just throwing things at the wall to see what sticks to really, you know, have a plan that you're going to tackle. So there's an image here on the homepage. This is probably just the easy kind of way to sh sort of show it. But you can think of each one of these kind of circles here as a topic and all these lines that connect between them. It's kind of like how you would kind of visualize a site, a visual site map, if you're using uh, any sort of crawling tool that showed you site architecture, but it's applying it to the topic itself. So the closer the circles are together, that's content that relates uh, more uh, closely with one another. So you can imagine that being something like, there's this concept called bridge topics. So something like this little circle right here that kind of sits far away from this one, kind of middle way between these two uh, kind of hubs here. The blue ones are hubs, by the way. What that serves as is a bridge topic. So an example of that would be something like, let's say we were doing probiotics and prebiotics. They're similar, but they're separate. You're eventually going to have a topic like probiotics versus prebiotics. Can I take probiotics and prebiotics together, right? Those kind of questions. Those serve as bridge topics to get between the two. So with one company we worked with, we created a bunch of content around probiotics, and then they wanted to start, came up with a new product in prebiotics. And so it's like, okay, now we want to start ranking for this. So what we did is we started, instead of just going and creating, I mean, they had their product and collection pages, but instead of creating content around prebiotics, like what's the best prebiotic, best prebiotics for women, best prebiotics for men, things like that, we said, let's start, because we're already ranking well for probiotics, let's create content about what's the difference between probiotics and prebiotics. Can you take them together? We started creating those articles first, and they were ranking very quickly because we already had established topical authority about probiotics. And then we use that to then blend over into prebiotics. And that's how you can start to move between individual subject areas. Now, if you're a brand new site just starting out, there are other considerations to take into account. You, you have to assess what type of market that you're in first, what, what kind of vertical you're in. If you're in a volatile vertical, if you're in a sort of mutable, changeable vertical, or if you're in a very stable vertical. If you're in a volatile vertical where the top 10 ranking pages for a given topic are constantly changing very frequently, you have to take bets because there's no way to actually know. So if you're in like crypto right now or NFT or something like that, like you've got to just try things because it's, it's too early to know exactly what's going to work. If you're in a much more stable market though, say mortgages, right? Or home loans or anything like that. Or let's talk about loans. legal maybe like, because yeah, okay. I work with yeah. lots of lawyers. So let's talk about law firms. Is this strategy and concept something that even law firms can apply? And can it be like a smaller firm or does it have to be more so a firm that's bigger? Like who is this ideal for? Because I know like there's a lot of even solopreneurs, there's like law firms that have maybe just their have a partner or maybe they're under staff of 10 to 15 people. Is this strategy something that you would recommend for them as well? And if so, what are some tips for getting started? Yeah, so I can, I can definitely talk about law because we've worked in that space prior and we, we still have some clients in it that are just kind of like uh, local friends, but more in the perspective of personal injury law, which tends to be the more competitive side of law. So yes, it works for them. It works for, for the people we've worked in that space. It's just a question of scale, right? How much content are you going to create? What does your budget look like? How quickly can you create co that content? Can you find the right people to create content that's going to adhere to your states like, you know, bar ethics guidelines with respect to advertising, right? So what we've done there in the past is we said, okay, take all your content together. Let's say you're a brand new website. We actually did this with, with an attorney. We built this website from scratch. He didn't have anything and, and did this with him. He's, you know, I think his city that he's in has about maybe 180,000 people. It's a pretty small city. And he's getting about 10,000 traffic per month, which is good for a DR, you know, with his brand new website, DR, like seven website with um, only about 20 pieces of content. Yeah, and that's pretty good. Yeah. So we, we started, you have to just kind of say, okay, like, where do you want to start? Do you want to pick a more, if you're, let's say your personal injury, you don't want to go after car accidents first. If you're just starting out with your website, feel free to market and advertise yourself that way on social, right? And advertising billboards, TV, whatever. But from your website standpoint, you want to start with something that's a little bit less competitive so that you can begin to get some traction and start showing Google that you have, that you're developing top authority. So motorcycle accidents, slip and falls, right? Wrongful death can be, it just kind of, it kind of depends, but some workman's comp, things like that, right? Start going after and building out content around each of those types of hubs. The one that we did it with, we started with semi-truck accidents, still pretty competitive, but far less competitive than car accidents, right? 
So we started with truck accidents, and then we did slip and fall, and then we did workman's comp. Now, he had all of the service pages on his website for car accidents and for, you know, the broad personal injury, all of that. We had all the service pages, but the actual blog content, we focused on trucks, slip and falls, workman's comp, and then worked our way into car accidents. And so here's what the um, impact of that's been. We published an article not too long ago about so like chest injuries after a car accident. And within 48 hours, he was ranking on the first page for it. So, you know, that's, it's very difficult to do in, in, in personal injury, even though it's tends to be more local based, it's a highly, highly competitive industry. You can oh, do I know. this in DUI. Yeah. You can do this in DUI. You can do this in divorce. Those are actually far less competitive, right? Than, than PI. So if, you, if it works in PI, it's going to work in those. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But structurally, you, you definitely want to start with all of your service pages first and your local pages for the cities you're in and the t areas you want to operate in. That's your, that's your website content, not your blog content, right? From your blog content, you want to start with the questions that people are asking, you know, can a, cell, can a truck driver use their cell phone on driving, right? That content doesn't necessarily drive leads. So that's something important that we always have to convey to people is that that type of content isn't necessarily going to drive a lead. What it does is we're trying to prove to Google that we are credible to talk about this topic. And as you do that, then you can start to talk about what to do if you've been hit by a semi-truck. Do you need to sue the driver or the company, right? You know, how to report it. How do you get in contact? You know, like all of that sort of things, right? You work your way into that. Now, if you start to see yourself getting traction, this is why we run our clusters pretty frequently, usually once over 30 days to see, to reassess where they're at with things. If we start to see it, because it recalculates the priority score every time, if we see them gaining traction in an area very, very quickly, then we will sometimes, well, the, the priority score will flip around the topics that was recommending us go after, and we'll actually start putting more competitive terms up first. Because once you see you're starting to get traction, then you can definitely go after those more uh, competitive terms immediately. And that's how you would approach it if you're not using like our technology and having us do it for you, you know. You would just say, okay, let me try some things. Let me take some bets. And if I see that I'm getting a foothold, then double down. And, you know, I think that's generally the way you apply to, to most things in life when you're trying things, right? So that's, that, yeah. that would be our approach. Yeah, I love that. I mean, so you start out more niche and you get rankings for those. You get that content out there. So Google recognizes that, you know, your website is authoritative in terms of topics related to very specific personal injury questions and topics. And mm -hmm. once you can rank for those and it understands that, then you can start slowly going a little bit broader and broader. And, and I think that that's really important, like what you just shared, because a lot of lawyers are under this concept of, especially in personal injury right away, they want to go for the car accident lawyer, Los Angeles, and those kind of things. Yeah. And and it's very competitive, whether you're doing paid, like PPC, sponsored section, or whether you're doing SEO, it's very competitive. And it, it can take months, right, to, to rank. But in the meantime, if you can start producing content where it's effective to get you to rank on a more niche level, then you can expand. And as you expand, I think your website's going to become more powerful and authoritative because when you think about the websites that are authoritative, like a HubSpot or, you know, you think of lawyers.com, sites like that, the yep. reason why they are ranking on page one is because they have thousands and millions of pages of content, you know, and that is why a website that has 10 pages versus a website that invests in writing 10 pieces of content a month. And after the end of a the year, they have 120, right? And after three years, they have 360 pages of their website versus their competitor might only have 20 pages. Google's going to say, hey, your website is more powerful and authoritative than your competition. As a result, we're going to reward you for that. And we're going to rank you higher. And and that's the thing is it's about creating content. And I think one of the mistakes that I see some attorneys do, they put all of their eggs in one basket. They will invest in paid campaigns, PPC. And, and I know this because they used to sell this back in the day. And they'll put a lot of money into it. And for PI, it is the cost is just going higher and higher and higher. But yeah. then what happens is, where how are you going to build the company's long-term growth and sustainability when you you have to turn that campaign off or you don't want to pay yeah. for it or, or it's not working anymore and then you don't have any organic rankings right and that's why to me i'm a firm believer in content marketing because i think content marketing is really what's going to set up your business for success like if you want to sell your law firm down the road or you want to show to investors if you're a startup 
that, hey, you have built a company that's sustainable, that someone can take over and they can they can run, you you have to create that digital presence online because everything's online nowadays. And I think content is how you do that. What I've what I've tried to explain to attorneys I've worked with in the past, and um, I'm I'm still somewhat uniquely qualified to talk about this because if if anyone if anyone's ever heard of uh, there's a website called Rankings.io run by Chris Dreyer, he works heavily in the personal injury space. We we write their content like for them. We we manage their content marketing along with Chris. So we we still kind of keep one foot in the door. We just don't directly work with personal injury lawyers and things like that ourselves anymore. But, uh, but again, we're, we're still involved in it. So what I've, what I've tried to explain to in the past is that it's not as if, because this is the angle that we're taking with the content on your website, with the, with the blog strategy, that you can't, like I said, still advertise or have initiatives going for car accidents or the more com- competitive things on other marketing channels. This is, this is not a, like you mentioned, you don't put all of your eggs in one basket. You need to take a much more omni-channel approach. More importantly, really what I think that attorneys need to do more than anything else is get really good attribution tracking going on and really understand how uh, they're getting their traffic from their sources and and what's converting. And also to understand that the way marketing works these days, it is not this linear path from they come to your website and they convert. That's just not the way it works. You have to really understand at a holistic level how your entire funnel fits together, right? So if you're advertising, someone comes into an article about, you know, their chest hurting after a car accident, right? Well, we don't know how injured they are, right? But if they later on search for a car accident lawyer, we now know they have our intent, right? And so if we've pixeled them, you can re- retarget them with advertising because you can bring for the one as much as hurt after a car accident. It's, it's far less competitive because all the other attorneys are more focused on the bottom of funnel terms, right? The people looking to hire one. But if you can get them to your site then, then you can retarget and advertise for that car accident lawyer term. And yes, it's expensive, but you're going to be advertising to a particular individual who has already been exposed to your brand. And so you're spending far less money than what you would if you were just constantly bidding on that term, right? Same thing on social, right? You can retarget them on social and just kind of stay top of mind and figure out like, are they engaged in this? Do, do they want to learn more? So maybe they come to your site about my chest is, you know, my chest hurt enough car accident. You know, what do I need to do? Is there anything bad going on here? Right? Like, how do I heal? How yep. do I recover? That's a very interesting point. They're going to be Googling those things as well because yeah. it's immediate. They're maybe they have pain. They're suffering from the ramifications of what happened. It could be physical. It could also be emotional. It could be traumatic Mm -hmm. what happened and they can be Googling those type of things in. But what's interesting is most attorneys, they don't even think that way, right? So it's about broadening their horizons and not just attorneys, but I mean, everyone, even like e-commerce, startups, everyone broadening their horizons of how people search online is not just the main key word. They're actually looking for again, solutions to their problem, right? They're, they're trying to find answers to questions. And also when you are creating content, a lot of the times when you post your content in the form of most commonly asked questions that people are already searching for and asking for online, yep. like that has a propensity to high, to rank high on Google and it gets you found, it gets you discovered, you know, so I think that's huge. Is there, is there anything else you would like to share with our audience today? Nothing immediately comes to mind. I think, I think I've, I think I've rambled on um, a decent amount about a variety of things. If you want to learn anything about in-depth content marketing, like we have our own resources on learning growth, Ahrefs is a really great resource to go learn, learn about content marketing. If you're in the B2B SaaS space, Superpath is a community built by uh, Jimmy Daly. That's a fantastic resource to go to be able to kind of connect and network and learn from other content marketers if you're in the legal space. There's a variety of great blogs out there. I'm a little partial to Rankings.io because I, I, I write a lot for it, but, but there's plenty of, of, of really great resources out there. More importantly, I would say like just don't believe everything that you hear, right? You need to test things and think about things in a much more holistic way. And once you've like picked a plan, like follow it through to execution. Don't don't get distracted every every month and try to change things up. So especially with SEO, because it will not work. Yeah. So have a plan and then focus on that plan until you accomplish what was in that plan before you mm-hmm. just try to do too many things. I mean, yeah, that's great advice. I, I can totally relate to that. And anything exciting new that, you know, in terms of features or functionality that you're launching for, for Ardent Growth that, you know, you want to tell the audience about? Yeah. So we we're constantly iterating on the tool to make it better and better. It's, it's extremely, extremely fast. So that's always nice that we can develop these strategies very quickly. We're working on a way to be able to map this into the second phase of things of the actual creation process. Like we, we can never like create content for you. Like people have to make content even with tools out there like GPT-3. 
but being able to help inform the structure of that content. What's what do the subheadings need to be? You know, those sorts of things. We're working on launching that. Here in the relatively new future, we already calculate things like what's the search intent? What, where does it map in the funnel? What's the value of it? What's the potential value? What's your priority? What's your relevancy? We have hubs, main keywords, subgroups. We, it's a ton of data, but it's a lot of things that unless you're in the know, it's overwhelming, right? And so that's why we take it and distill it down into these strategy documents that make it very clear what you need to do. And we kind of remove all the noise. We still give it to you if you, you know, if you want to dive into it. But, but yeah, so the next step is really trying to, to bridge the gap between now we've clustered things together. We've mapped out how the plan needs to be executed. Now let's take it one more step further into that sort of outlining and brief creation process before it gets handed off to a writer. And if someone wants to work with your organization, I mean, what's the process? Is there like a, you know, set pricing plans that they can pick from or is it all custom or how does that process work? We've been, we've been playing around with pricing. It, a lot of times it depends really what you're needing. If, if people just want, say, a topic cluster built for them to understand, like, you know, how they need to create content. If they want to go execute and they don't need us to make strategy documents, like we'll make those for people for like $5,000 because our algorithm so fast now that it's, it's, it's very easy for us to do. Now, if you're looking for more long-term strategic assistance throughout the process, everything from we do the research for you, we cluster things together for you, we're helping you make briefs, we're guiding you along the way of the content creation process, we're helping you find, train writers. That's, you know, it's a big, that's a, that's a time-intensive um, task. That's when it gets a bit more custom and we have to kind of understand, like, what's the scope of the project look like, but... Yeah. Perfect. Love all that. Well, thank you so much for being on the Mesmerizing Marketing. And do you want to share any websites or social media handles where people can connect with you guys? Yes, you can find us at artandgrowth.com. That's our, that's our main website. And probably the best place to connect with me earning from Art and Growth is going to be on LinkedIn. We're not very, we're not active on Facebook. Twitter's not always the best place for that either. So I think LinkedIn, LinkedIn is one of the best places. Just search for um, Scholar Reeves on LinkedIn. You'll be able to find us. Okay, we'll definitely link that in the show notes. Thank you so much for being a guest today. Thank you for listening to the Mesmerizing Marketing Podcast. If you found this episode valuable, please subscribe to the show so you don't ever miss an episode and also share it with your friends. Dimple would be so grateful if you could take a minute to leave a review and visit the podcast website to check out all the latest episodes at www.mesmerizingmarketingpodcast.com. That's www.mesmerizingmarketingpodcast.com. And follow Dimple on Clubhouse. Her handle is Marketing Expert. And also join her Mesmerizing Marketing Club also on Clubhouse for live rooms on top marketing strategies for entrepreneurs and business owners who want to mesmerize their marketing. 